Hello, Cachimbonas. I am very excited to bring you this very special collaboration episode with Lena and Stephanie of The Bag Ladies. I had a really great talk with both Stephanie and Lena, which was inspired by their episode where they looked into the history of the usage of the word Latinx. And we broke down the history of it that is based in Latin American activism dating back to the early 2000s. And then also spoke about our own experiences with the word when we first heard it and why we continue to use it. We also broke down a few of the myths surrounding the word, including that it originated in academia and is an example of elitism of college educated individuals pushing this on the rest of the population. And it was a really amazing conversation. I hadn't had an interview with the bag ladies since I went on their show with Cynthia as part of Cerebronas. Years ago, actually, Lena and I were both in law school. And that was really great just to catch up with Lena because then we also did a segment where we talked about our experiences as civil rights litigators and women of color and Lena spoke about her experience as an Afro-Latina and it was really great you know we just got real and talked about our experiences I'm super excited for you all to listen to this episode if you want to support Radio Cachimbona you can become a patron and get patron-only episodes specifically the lit review which is a segment that I do with other women of color where we dissect timely texts over wine I will be doing the last lit review, reading A History of Violence by Oscar Martinez, and then by reading a set of poems by Claribel Alegría called Flowers and Volcano, Flowers from the Volcano. So very excited about that. And another way, if you can't support monetarily right now, but still want to show your love for the podcast, a super helpful way to help is to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate the last person who left a review, Ana Florecita, said some really sweet things. Thank you so much. And I also wanted to thank the newest patron, Marley Ozma DeForest. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your generosity. You are supporting the podcast and I just appreciate it so much. Another way to stay involved in the conversation if you want to continue thinking about these things is to follow at Radio Cachimbona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy. No, no, uh, no, he does have some good tweets. He does. <laughs> and he'd be like, fuck the police type shit. Like, you know, so I can't oh, even nice. be mad. Like, it's not like his politics are fucked up. He's just like extra as a, as a person. That's cool. See, I want to tweet. I want to tweet that too. If my organization let me tweet that out and not look at me sideways, I would also do. I would put them in my bio, but they don't. So they're not. Fuck the police. Yeah, no, that's the way to go. One thing I appreciate about my job is that everybody is like, fuck the police. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, most people are. So there's a few problematic white people in there. There. No, I'm not going to get into the politics of, of like defund the police and all that. 
yeah. I know. Just I, I think we all know that like America's looking kind of like what's the word to say it? Um a little whack right now. I think we should all consider other options. <laughs> I don't know where that is. I know. I don't know. I'm just kinda looking at America like, am I really gonna raise a a, a another cat here or should I just <laughs> go on by my way like i don't know i just don't feel safe i don't feel safe oh yeah and maybe i, I mean i'm not gonna feel safe anywhere but at least i have free health care some places right you know like i know 50 yes i've been thinking about that like how awful it is that healthcare is tied to having a job in this country like just how many people stay at shitty jobs mm-hmm. just for the healthcare. i am mentally ill i need consistent medication i can't just yeah. like Back quit and then here. like not have any plan mm-hmm. for my, yeah. my health insurance yeah it makes no sense it's on brand for america though <laughs> and and then other countries have been getting thousands of dollars a month and we got one thousand two hundred dollar check and then are maybe going to get a $600 check i'm so upset about this $600 check what is anybody supposed to do with a $600 check <laughs> Who who pays hundred dollars of anything? Uh, what is hundred dollars? I will admit that that does cover my portion of the rent in Tucson. I'll admit. <laughs> I mean, that did cover my portion of the rent in Philadelphia with my roommate. But, but <laughs> other, I have other expenses. And hello, everybody that's living in places where rent is like a thousand dollars for one bedroom or where else. Well, actually, I haven't even formally introduced (laughs) y'all. Okay, anyways, we're back. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. I know it's gonna be tea. <laughs> so I wanted to formally introduce the bag ladies, Stephanie and Lena. Hello, hello. We did an interview when I was still doing Cerebronas, but this is the first time I'm having you on Radio Cachimbona, so I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you. We're excited to be here. When we were like, when you emailed us, we were like, <gasps> we haven't had an interview or like had an on-air like chat since. Cerebronas, like it's been a while. Yeah, we were yeah, all in law school at that point. Mm. Yes, mm. and now we're about to do a segment on our experiences as women of color lawyers. Wow, we're about to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm so <laughs> excited to have you all on today because I listened to your episode about the word Latinx and the history of it, the critiques of it, and, you know, kind of whether or not it's worth salvaging. And it made it made me realize that I also hadn't, that I hadn't done a segment on Latinx. And my older brother recently was like, like, what, like, what does that mean? <laughs> And I like tried to explain it to him, and then I was like, you know what? I think it'd be really good to do a podcast segment, so then I can literally just send it to him, <laughs> and then be like, listen. <laughs> I wanted to ask, what was what is your you all's understanding of the history of the word Latinx? When did you all first hear the term, and do you identify with it? Whoever wants to answer first, <laughs> you, you. <laughs> 
I'll go first. Um, I will say that I think I first heard of the term Latinx um, probably on Tumblr, honestly, um, mm-hmm. kind of just like getting my degree in Tumblr University and race theory. Um, yeah. And yes. it started to pop up a lot in a lot of the posts that I was reading and like learning about. And I looked it up. I was like, ah, I don't, I'm not sure what this is, but like, I understand why, because I remember when it was, a, it was like a thing that it became like Latino with the at sign. And it was like, this is supposed to be inclusive. Yes! Yeah. Like, remember that was a whole yes. thing. Wait, what year was that? That was probably like 2011, 2011, I think 2012 yeah. around that time. Um, yeah, I was in college. Yes, I remember yeah. being in college. I was in college, and it was like a thing. And I started <laughs> writing it with the at sign because I was like, "Cool, like I'm down." Me too. Um, and yeah. then I was like on Tumblr for a few years, and I started to see the X, and I was like, "Oh, like seeing the explanations of like why it made sense for people to use the X." People were like, "Yeah, like this is supposed to be inclusive of all types of genders." Like the at sign is really for it's like still on a binary of like men and women, but like there's so many other there's more gender mm-hmm. expressions than that. So X is to kind of disrupt that. And so I was like, "Oh, cool." That was even before I started to identify as queer um, or gender nonconforming. That I was like, "Oh, I'm cool with the X. Like, I like how it looks. It's cool. Like, it's edgy. Like, mm-hmm. intuitively, you you were like, yes, <laughs> right. My my heart was like, that's for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then like learning about it some more. I know that what I've learned about it is that it actually came from activists in South America who were mm-hmm. protesting kind of gender-based violence and um, discrimination and, and use the X to disrupt that as well. And, oh, and I do identify with, if I'm going to use Lat- Latinx or Latinidad, if I'm going to engage and be like, yeah, I'm in that, I use the X because mm-hmm. I might as well, like <laughs> with all of its problems, whatever, give me the X. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's really helpful history too. I think that is the earliest that I've heard of it going back is like the early 2000s with Latin American activists that you brought up. So yeah, what about you? So I think for me, I definitely heard it more when I was in college. I went to like a like a, like a college talk um, and I forgot who the person was. T- like I forgot who the person was, but they were just talking about like Latinx identity and they were kind of like explaining like what it means and I was like oh okay cool Latinx totally inclusive I'm always down for like inclusive like I'm all about it sign me up where can I get more I'm all down so I started using it just like casually right I just built Latinx Latinx and it it made me feel like I'm including all parts Mm -hmm. of Latinx identity um, because I think sometimes Latinx identity feels very like cornered and sheltered in like this one idea. But to know that there's like a rate of different things and different people, I was like, you know what? Why not use the X? And like, yeah. And I know, you mm-hmm. know, we're probably going to get more into that conversation, but it's definitely something about just being inclusive. So we're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, of course I'm down. I'm totally with it. I, the, I have similar experiences to you all. I first heard the word Latinx also when I was in college. and But I feel like also social media was an important part of my, like, political, my, <clears throat> the building of my political views, both with Tumblr and then later Twitter. And 
yeah, I think I, I think probably the first time that I read about it was when I took a queer Latinidad class and it was explained and I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm. <laughs> Stephanie, yeah, it was, it was exactly like, it's inclusive. I want to be inclusive. Why, why would I not want to be <laughs> inclusive? So I was just down for it. Uh, but this right. term yeah. does stir up a lot of controversy, many feelings. Not everybody identifies with the label and there's been hella op-eds about why we should not adopt this term. Why do you think that some in the Latinx community don't want to adopt the label? I just want to probably put it in the space. It's probably white supremacy. I don't want to say it like that, but like it probably is um, because I think when... Oh, because they want to be Hispanic. Yeah, because, <laughs> right. And that whole, I think one, I think people are learning and I'm all about learning and like yeah. figuring things out because I get it, right? White supremacy, white supremacy has really messed the entire world. So like, we're not going to act like that's not true. And um, a lot of people may not have access to certain like, you know, documentations or like, you know, access to like certain... You're figuring this out. You're shocked that yeah. you've been using like, lots of, you know, Latino, Latino. And then you're like, wait, X, no way. Like you can't do it. But we're like, but we kind of can. And, and, you know, and I get the, <laughs> yes. I, I'm like, I'm trying to be like, I get the fear of change. But like, if a group of people for a long time has been erased, we, we're not going to act like we could go, we could literally go through so many parts of history that like indigenous black people have been erased from Latinx culture for many years. And, when people are raised, you know, people don't get access to certain yeah. things. Like, I never forget yeah. when, like, uh, a couple of years ago, we read an article that, like, uh, Mexico finally included, like, Afro, like, Black Mexicans in their senses not too long ago. Like, in 2000s, I believe. 2015, 16, I'm not sure. But, like, like so you're telling right, me right. that nobody was like, oh, yeah, like, let's not count folks here in this area. Like, let's just skip them. Like, no, it, it, it is a reason why that happened. And that's why, so, and that's why, like, people are just like, hey, like, no, it's with the E, it's Latin. I'm like, yo, bro, if you say, if you say, uh, what is it, Latine? 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 Latine. If you say, if I said Latini. Uh, if you said, that's like, <laughs> Latin. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, if, you say, <laughs> if you say Latine, right, if you say Latine, I'm not going to stop you and be like, it's Latinx. I'm a, I imagine I know what you're talking about and I can 100% understand you. But I think the policing being like, yeah, saying it wrong. I'm like, well, yeah, colonize. Yeah. And like, that's the wrong part. If we're really going to talk about things that was wrong, that's the part. Like, I probably didn't have an, op- uh, an option to learn other languages but Spanish. I mean, I could, I, could, I could keep going. But I just think it's important to know, like, it's just I think people are afraid of change and I get it. But we're going to change regardless. With or without you type of vibe. as language does i also think that it is part of homophobia and transphobia too Mm -hmm. because it's also a term that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be gender expansive like nobody was trying to come up with no term before before we had latinx oh but now all of a sudden latinx is wrong and latine is the right one this is the one we're supposed to be but y'all were not trying to include any gender non-conforming people or um, but, uh, people who identify with genders other than men and women before oh but now now it's a problem um and i think also that it if you i think it like we were just looking at the like Pew report, Pew research report, where it was like only three percent of Latinos even know what Latinx is. It is wow. 
supposedly you think do you think that's true i don't think that's no, true i'm like like <laughs> if three percent of people were to use it like you wouldn't even hear about it like yeah really like that doesn't, if it's three percent it's not even going to come up a study you particularly targeted a certain group of people that you felt that fit latin la latinidad and you're like okay let me ask the people only three percent of me i use it really because everybody who i know uses it and i'm in new york city <laughs> so like i don't know where that article came from i think if you're yeah. if you step out of your circle if you are of i think if you know people who are not white latinos who are queer or who are young progressives yeah. and i think that's a lot of pe- young people in the latinx community as conservative as our communities can be, people use it. I don't think that it's that out of the norm, like that people are like, never heard this before. I'm like, yeah, mate, my mom don't know what Latinx is. I know that she don't know, but like everyone else, like me and my siblings, like we all know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me wonder who right. they targeted in the poll because mm-hmm. actually I feel like Latinx is at its peak right now. I'm trashy, so I watch the Bravo shows and I'm watching Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and they were they were talking about Sundance and then there oh there was an God. event, I guess that was a Latinx event, and then they like ca- captioned it as oh Latinx event. And I was like I was like, okay, Bravo. <laughs> Bravo Bravo's Bravo's woke now. Bravo's like, we be knowing. Andy Cohen is shook. (laughs) I know. Bravo's, yeah. (laughs) Bravo is getting their pennies from us because I'm also watching that. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Mira. I love it, honestly. I'm about to start doing another Cochimona segment because I'm like, you know, I definitely think that there's people who care about the leftist politics I'm talking about and also watch this show. I'm convinced. So, (laughs) yes. Oh, yes, there is a Venn diagram. Like, it definitely overlaps. I just started watching yes. Real Housewives of Potomac at Stephanie's yes. suggestion. Oh, my God. Like, I'm so... Yes. But this is good, though. I'm so proud of myself for being a day one Potomac fan. Like, is hot. Nobody was really with me when I was watching it at first, and I, I would text so many of my friends because I'd be like, what the fuck, Ashley? What's happening? What? And I, oh. needed someone to, I needed someone to talk about it with, and people were like, oh, I don't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was literally like, where even is Potomac? Why are you watching that? Yo, and where? Is no exactly but not everybody exactly. knows let's start a but group i watched chat. it before it was cool. yes <laughs> so we could just send memes i'll be sending memes and no one understands the memes i'll be like yo yeah watch the show yeah we'll get it all right this is shade all right yes <laughs> so actually considering how we did all come to hear the word latinx in higher education do you all agree with the critiques of Latinx that the term originated in academic elitist spaces and is this kind of issue of power where college-educated people are telling the broader community how they should identify in a condescending way? I mean, I don't think that I fully agree with that just because one of the first people that I heard or read using that term was bad Dominicana and bad Dominicana is a like a social critic who, who built her base on Tumblr and who built her base on young people. Yes. They were people Mm -hmm. in college, but also like her, her critique appeals to like a broad range of people who are college educated, who aren't, who are working class and have different types of backgrounds. So I feel like, I think if you are plugged into certain types of spaces, like queer affirming, 
social justice, anti-capitalist, anti-racist spaces that you're more likely to hear that term. But that to me, that's not necessarily a college educated space, even though I think that for me personally, I came into those political views after going to college. But I don't think that that specifically I know working class people who are anti-capitalist, mm-hmm. anti-racist as hell. Like, I think that it's also rude to be like only people with college educations would ever think about these things. And right, it's like, right. You tell them on yourself because you sound classes. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I definitely, and I also don't, I also don't want to erase the people who were protesting against femicide yeah. and you know mm-hmm. gender-based violence when they were using the word. Yeah, right, um, right. You know, even though I did learn the word in college, I also want to feel that sometimes like academia, academia feels like a vicious cycle of like holding information so like there's a world that Mm -hmm. that word must have could have came from somewhere else and it just got brought into academia like most things are yeah that's facts i mean i mean i mean i'm not gonna look (laughs) look no offense to people in academia like you know people you know no offense because i think the world of education is great it's just like the business of academia that's the issue but like i do i do feel that like sometimes a lot of the policy work and a lot of like the activism, a lot of the theories and the socialism come from people who are not really, well, some of them are in grad school, so I'm not going to play them, but like a lot of come from the people doing the work on the ground. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to take that word and be like, oh, it's elitist for people who are using Latinx. Like, no, that came from people who were in a movement that wanted to protest against violence. And so like, we can't claim that. We, we are talking about it, but we can't claim it. Um, so yeah, so I get the critique too, because I do... I, I do agree with, with Lena. Like my mom doesn't know what Latinx is. But when I say Latinx, my mom doesn't correct, doesn't like be like, what? She understands what I mean. She doesn't correct me. Like she doesn't be like, oh, it's Latina. She'd be like, okay. So what you want to eat? Do get a pollo with what you want? Because I'm about to put the food, I'm about to put in the, <laughs> the food in the fridge. Like what you trying to do? So yeah. So like, I, I don't, I don't, I get the critique and I get it, but like, I don't, I don't think that that word is, formulated in academia because mm-hmm. it's not right like it's like do you really think that much knowledge is generated in the academy like come on <laughs> it's literally a study of people and they're yeah. like we just like figure yeah. this yeah theorizing about people's lived experiences i don't like i've been on wellness tiktok and like wellness tiktok and like i've been learning so much how like wellness and like theory and psychology has been stolen from just like everybody i was like boy i know you can't you can't trust nobody in these streets, but I've been through that. My ancestors told me not to trust people in the streets, but yeah. But yeah, so like academia falls in line with that too. I also think about the fact that mm-hmm. like Latino as is a construction of American origins in general, like how yeah. the census was like, how do we count mm-hmm. all these people? Um, they all speak Spanish, Latinos, yeah. like Latino. sure, we're going to put a whole continent together. <laughs> like that's a thing. I think that there are people in Latin America and South America who identify as Latino, like, yes. But I don't think that people walk around in in South America and Central America like, just a Latino. I think that that's also part of the way that we understand it is from our American perspective. So, like, I'm okay with like, adding another extra letter. Like, fuck it up. Like, it's not a real thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm on the same page with y'all. I mean, I, I was inspired to do this because my older brother was, like, in conversation was like, why do you use that word Latinx? And I, I also, I have heard that 
the the word is used has been used in activist spaces like i remember reading about how prisca said that she first heard the term in el salvador when she was with trans women there and so and that that was in like 2014 and i agree stephanie that it, it it's like erasure to to say that like this originated in us universities when especially if you think about what academia does i mean so much of it is extractive it's like going into communities and getting ideas from from the communities that they're at yeah yeah So given that Latinx has been critiqued as erasing Indigenous and Black Latinx identity and presence, is the term salvageable? And like, should we be salvaging the term? You mean like Latinidad in general? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've definitely tweeted like hashtag cancel Latinidad. Yeah, me me too. So what's up? Are we going to cancel it? (laughs) I mean, TBH... Like, am I in it? No. So, like, am, I don't think it should be canceled because certain people's not in it. But I don't, I think the issue I have that we are represented in it. And I think that's the problem. Like, like here, when we, yeah. for the election, you know, we were all the Latini, we were all the Latino vote. Everyone's like, this is the, what, what the Latinos are. I was like, wait, hold on. You got to break down Latinos. Like, that's not fair. There's a lot of different like, type of Latinos, right? We got Puerto Ricans. We got Dominicans. You know, we, we got a whole bunch of different, I just named two, but we got a whole bunch of different. Cubans in Florida. Latin Cubans. They're doing their own thing. Ecuadorians. <laughs> we got Cubans. Right. We have like so many different. My main, my my mind went blank. But like we have so many different types of people from all over the world, but we count as one singular vote. Like, well, sixty six six like sixty six percent of Latinos voted for like whatever Trump. And we're like, hold on, hold up, better than who? Because we got to look at the fine details because y'all put all of us together, right? And the yeah. same way that they don't do for other people. Well, actually, they do that for a lot of different groups of people. So like you know, yeah, because so. I think they're modeling like they're just because like mm-hmm. white. People are a very consistent voting bloc. They haven't voted Democrat. The majority of white people haven't voted Democrat since like 1964. And that's been consistent ever since then. And so, but like, just because they are a bit monolithic and wanting to uphold white supremacy doesn't mean that the Mm -hmm. Latinx community is that way as well. And also, I mean, and like Latinx is not a race. Right. So... That makes it like even more complicated. We're not even getting into like the racial dimension of what it means to be in Latinidad because there's Asian people, black people, white people who are Latinos and the racial dynamics of white supremacy still play out in Latinidad in terms of like who is prioritized as the Latinos that we see on TV. I like how we put on like our American, like Latinos um, that we see on TV, right? Like we're only seeing white Latinos. Like (laughs) we're seeing Sofia Vergara, we're seeing JLo, we're seeing all these women who are, Ethnically, I'm Gina yeah. Rodriguez, who are ethnically Gina Rodriguez. ambiguous, and like that's code for white, <laughs> like white with brown yeah. hair. And like, 
there's no people who look like us who are black who are indigenous who are actually mestizo in like um like a visibly mixed way that's not what towards leaning towards white looking so it's also like a part of me is like Mm -hmm. latinidad is not very inclusive it's just I mean, how many countries are there in South America? Right. Like, we smush them all together and we're like, this is a thing. You're all like this. And it's like, all right, a lot of us eat mm. platanos, whatever. Like, that don't mean we're all the same. Like, we have unique um, backgrounds and histories right. and, like, right. the U.S. intervened in our countries in different ways and fucked our mm-hmm. shit up in different ways. So we have different, we just have different lived experiences mm-hmm. and you cannot expect all of us to mm-hmm. be like, we're the same. We're actually like we're literally not right, and that's the problem. And I think, and that's the problem right. when they group us all together because they'd be like, "Oh yeah, like all I got did this one thing." We're like, "Well, well, well I'm, uh, but uh, we speak the same language, maybe." Yeah, okay, I'll take. All right, was it by choice? Was it like right, right, not, right. not, not even, not even, not even. But like, not I even. For, for for your ears, for the for the ideal colonizer, they're like they speak the same. They're doing the same thing, right? For what for what people assume for us to be. So I think when I be like, oh my god, right. like, yeah, it's definitely canceled because like when I feel like, damn, do I represent as like Latinx? Yes, I do. I say that word often, but like it's not something that I'm like. This is it. Oh my god! Like this is my whole identity because it's not. Yes, like I think my my identity is like being a Black Dominican. Mm-hmm. Like that's my identity, and Latinx is just something to describe yeah. myself. Like oh, I'm Afro Latinx. This is where I am. This is where I stand. Can it be saved? I think yeah. I think all words. I think all words can be saved through time and experience. Right. Uh, people being right. like yeah, through time and experience. I think all all words could be mm-hmm. changed at one point, but it's also being mindful when we talk about these words and kind of like because the whole conversation of being like y'all need to say this or y'all need to say this. I'm like, we don't really have to do anything you tell us to, though. Like, I'm sorry, not sorry. Like, I don't know what to tell you. That's a good question. It's a good, it's something to keep thinking about, to be honest. Yeah. I have started to gravitate more towards Central American or like Salvi American as my identifier, just because my experience of Latinidad has been groupings and efforts like under mm-hmm. that label have been that like, the Central American experience is erased and disregarded. And so I'm not really seeing the benefit of, mm-hmm. of identifying as Latinx, you know, because I think I need to assert my Salvadoran identities in order to assert that history that is erased. But uh, I also kind of feel like this is like a inter-community conversation mm-hmm. and I still use Latinx, you know, in, in my everyday life. I'm not it, I, I have not taken it out of my vocabulary. I still think it's useful. And and I agree. I think that, like, it can be saved, you know, with with thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think definitely thoughtfulness because there is just so much erasure that happens and that yeah. gets reinforced all the time. I'm just, like, thinking about, like, conversations about, like, representation matters and, like, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll be, like, the first Latino person doing this. And it'll be, like, a white person. Right. Oh, my God, the head of DHS. (laughs) Right. And it's, like, it's really hard for me to be, like, yeah. Like, that is, like, in even if in their country of their parents' origin or if they immigrated here, like, they would still be a white person. It is only... In yes. America, yes. And they get to benefit from this like, identifier, and all of a sudden, that takes them out of whiteness. But only in like a cultural sense, because when they're identified yeah. by other people, when people are interacting with them, they see a white person, and they're gonna treat them like a white person. As opposed to us, we roll up in the space, everybody be like, 
not white, not white, not white, you black, you this, you that. And like, they never let you forget it. You don't have that experience. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's kind of true. I'll be, that's true. Because they really do be like, but then I'll be looking at them. They'd be like, oh, I got a panel. We have a panel here, a full Latinx people talking about this. I look at the panel. I'm like, did I come into the wrong room? Like, I don't, under, I don't, okay, none of y'all look like me, which is fine. That's the worst when you show to the Latinx panel and it's all white people. I'd be like, I get it. Cause y'all so obviously like, y'all stories are important. Y'all experiences are important. But I'm like, I'd rather go somewhere else because yeah. I know you were able to get into spaces and have conversations. You're leading spaces about like Afro Latinxness in spaces and no one's like, Mm. people are just like yeah tell us more but that's neither here nor there but it really is here but yeah <laughs> but it gets frustrating because you're like damn where do i where do i live in yeah and i do know it's blackness and that's where i stay at <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. well thank you so much for this conversation about <laughs> latinx i think that as we said we're <laughs> we're gonna continue using it and critiquing it and trying to find a way forward that is productive. Mm-hmm. Lena, I wanted to transition to talking about lawyering and thank Stephanie for coming on and talking about Latinx identity. Yeah, thank you so much thank for you. having me. <laughs> Let me do it. Bye. Oh, bye. What type of lawyering do you do? So I am a movement lawyer, which still sometimes it feels weird to say that. It's like, I'm a movement lawyer. They're like, all right, girl, who said? Like, I did. You did, yeah. So I'm a movement lawyer. And right now I'm I'm practicing at Center for Constitutional Rights, which is a civil rights organization that does impact litigation in support of movements. And so I'm kind of stepping into that role and learning so much (laughs) how would you define movement lawyer i actually am not sure that i've defined it on the podcast even though i identify as it so should break that down for people it's kind of it's definitely hard to define well i i mean i don't i don't think that there's like a set definition i think that there's yeah um like a set of principles that Mm -hmm. i think about when it comes to movement lawyering and for when I think about it, first and foremost, it's like centers impacted communities in in whatever kind of legal practice that you're doing. And also like knowing that attorneys are not the driving forces of change and mm-hmm. or should not be should not be should not be and aren't. <laughs> and, and so mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is the role? How can I support movement? movement work that's already happening, organizing that's already happening, and how can my litigation support that and my practice? Because so often the litigation takes center stage and it's like, this is what it's about, this lawsuit. And it's like, yeah, lawsuits don't, they don't solve it. Like you don't finish a lawsuit. You're like, wow, we solved racism. Oh my God, no more. Look, we desegregated the schools now. Perfect. (laughs) Like that's never how it works, right? Um, So that's what I yeah yeah that's not how that's not how brown versus board turned out <laughs> <laughs> right like, 
we we still arguing about that shit. Like, <laughs> we're, yeah, I mean, schools are just as segregated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. the The winds are so small, and the the cases drag on forever. I just remember mm-hmm. one of the attorneys at the place that I interned at my first summer worked on a case in that was in the Ninth Circuit, and it was really important because it ended up making case law that made it so that if a worker was bringing a suit against their employer, the employer's counsel couldn't ask about their undocumented status during during that dispute, which is super important because that's how people were intimidating undocumented mm. workers from bringing suits. That specific win took 20 years. <laughs> people, I feel like people don't, I don't know if people outside of lawyering like know that, just like, how long it takes right. a case to wind its way through the courts and then it goes up to the court of appeals on one specific question and then it gets remanded and it's back to the district and it's like yeah like some of the attorneys i work for, work with they've been litigating cases for like 18 15 10 years and they're like they're, they're like since i started wow. at this job i've been working on this one case and that's like mind blowing to me well yeah <laughs> That is mind blowing, because I also think it's like of a different generation to stay at one job for that long. Also, <laughs> I think that is also true. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, that's just yeah. I think that that's just a very millennials are like. I've been here two and a half years, so what you gonna give me so I don't leave? No, on it, or it's like mm, this is basic. I'm gonna leave. Right. <laughs> for real. <laughs> Do you feel fulfilled in the legal profession? Mm, (laughs) This is a hard question. I don't think that I feel like my career, my job fulfills all of my interests and passions. Mm, mm -hmm. Right. Because what job would? Yeah. Like, there's no job that you would be like, this is it. Like, I never think this is all I think about. I think for me, I'm interested in, I want the world to be different than what it is right now. Like, really different. And I think my Mm -hmm. job is part of that passion, part of the things that I'm interested in. But it represents just one way for me to, like, work towards that. I think that's also why the podcast, Bag Ladies, is so important to me because I feel like that fulfills another part of the things that I'm interested in. I can approach it from a different way. It's not because lawyer being a lawyer is such a limited set of tools. Like you can only affect change in one very specific way. Yeah. But that's not actually how change happens in society Mm -hmm. and in our world. And so I don't. I don't want my only contribution toward the end of white supremacy, dismantling of this white supremacist capital, patriarchal hellscape to just be lawyering. Like it has to be other things because that's like one very particular thing. And even just like by the nature of who you're working with, it's already elitist. Like I don't want, that's not where I want to be. I don't want to be in the most elite spaces. (laughs) Yeah. It's so uncomfortable, but it's also Mm. like we've been, I, we have this privilege, this this degree, this light bar license, and yeah, it is difficult though. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to navigate. I think because I feel like so many people, a lot of people, don't think about it in the profession at all. Like I would say, the majority of lawyers do not think about. <laughs> 
is this profession like elitist? I mean, maybe they do, but I like think some, some people like it for that reason. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, honestly, if like if you don't catch yourself, you will start to buy into that mentality. Like, I think, yeah, there's been times where I've been like, oh, yeah, this is like a really intellectual profession or like, fuck, <laughs> it took three years, so many exams. I had to take the bar twice and I had to pay hella money <laughs> and just, I mean, just like because of all those things, it is a very yeah. elitist profession because of how much you need to invest in order to to do it. Yeah, and that's all, I feel like that's all just gatekeeping because I know so many smart, yes. intelligent people who would be amazing lawyers if they could take the, if they could take the LSAT. The LSAT is like the first hurdle and like, right. I struggled with that exam so much. I went to yeah. like a predominantly white elite undergrad institution and was like, I guess, I mean, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome when I was there, but I was like, I guess I, I mean, I, I know things or whatever. Let me take this test. And like preparing for the LSAT, I was like, but what the fuck is this? What are y'all talking about? None of this makes sense. Then you got to law school. You're learning a whole different language. You're like, what are y'all talking yeah. about? None of this makes sense. <laughs> like literally you want me to think like some literally. white man. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, what are we talking about? The reasonable person. <laughs> white man. Yeah. <laughs> And right. so it's just all gatekeeping because like then you get into the then you get into the profession you're like oh so y'all didn't teach me anything about how to do this job cool 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 i just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this to get this license and i don't i don't even know what i'm doing like for the first like few years yeah no that's it's that is totally on point because the history of law schools was that they're like like rich white men thought that the profession was becoming too inclusive because before the first law school was founded, you could become a lawyer just through an apprenticeship. So you could, as long as you found anybody who's Mm -hmm. willing to basically have you be their intern and like shadow them, then you could become a lawyer. And so there were, were black folks, there were Jewish folks, Catholics who were all like taking the bar or no sorry oh my god do you see how deeply ingrained that is in me <laughs> they, they, they the abolished the bar they were all becoming lawyers because they were they've like found people who were willing to mentor them and then grew that network and so then that's like mm. why Harvard Law was founded and literally <laughs> why are you like this Harvard why are you like honestly, this honestly <laughs> they tried to keep us out it didn't work Fuck you. (laughs) It's true, honestly. I think about it and like learning the, I have learned the most through my internships, through clinics, through practical experience because law school as it's set up right now is this theoretical exercise. And at when like, it is not like you don't learn anything about what Mm -hmm. it's like to actually lawyer. It's like shocking how little you learn. You're like, what? Because for one thing, like law school is so, I mean, all law school is competitive, but you know, some schools are more competitive than others. But then you get out into practice and you're working Mm -hmm. with somebody on everything. You're in a team, you're always collaborating. And there are so many lawyers who do not play well with others. And you're just like, so like... (laughs) why don't you teach me how to manage relationships and like manage my my time and like there's so many there's just there's just so yeah I also all of my 
I think all of my best learning experiences were practical experiences. I used to, before I went to law school, I was a civil legal advocate. So I represented people in like administrative hearings in New York City, doing like public assistance and stuff like that. And so I was like their fake lawyer. Like we would go to this conference mm-hmm. room with like an administrative judge and I'd be like mm-hmm. fake doing hearings or whatever. So then I was like, oh yeah, like, and I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to learn all yes. these things about like <laughs> specific things that lawyers do. And like, I did a clinic and our professor was literally like, okay, so how do you start a meeting with your client? And people are like, you know, you just say, hello, I'm your lawyer. Let's get to it. And you're like, no, how do you build rapport with your client? And it's like, this is what we're learning. Like, that you, like people literally don't know that you have to be like, hey, good morning. What's right. up? How are you? Right. Like, this is who I am. Stuff like that is like where we're starting at. So it's like wild. So we've been, we have already been getting into the hard aspects of being women of color attorneys or you being an Afro-Latina attorney. What would you say has been the hardest aspect for you? There's a lot of imposter syndrome, I feel like, that I feel <laughs> or have felt at different points in during my law school now post-law school time like in law school I remember I felt I would feel so stupid because I felt like everybody was understanding things and I was just confused and like Mm. they all spoke in very particular ways like everybody was like quoting the cases directly and I'd be like well they didn't want to do that so then of course I know and they'd be like (laughs) and I'm like I said the same thing you did but you were all you were like ten dollar words so I used to feel very like I used to, and I mean, sometimes I still struggle with it. I used to feel very like, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And also just feeling like you're the only person in the room (laughs) who cares about people, period. Uh, Like social Mm -hmm. issues and the way that that world actually works. And everybody's just like, the world is fine. Like, I just want to make these checks. And you're like, um... Your corporate firm mm-hmm. exploits people. I don't know. Like, so it's hard sometimes to feel like you're the only person, like you're screaming at a wall mm-hmm. and everybody in your profession is just like, whatever. Yeah. Everything's ch- um, That yeah. really resonates with me too. I think I've had imposter syndrome a ton. Like I've doubted myself a ton just throughout so many points in law school. The day that I graduated, I was just sitting in my seat weeping because there because there were so many times that I wanted to quit with every fiber of my being. <laughs> and and I mm-hmm. did it. And you know, I honestly could say that I think it was the loans that was the reason for that. It wasn't really because I was convinced that the end goal was gonna be worth it. <laughs> yeah, facts. <laughs> You're like, I guess I already paid for this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was because it was kind of like, well, is it more useful to be in debt with one year of law school or in debt with like three years of the actual degree? I probably have the degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, I feel like every law student, if you don't go through that, some days I would wake up for law school and I'd be like, but what if I just stop going today? What if today is the day that I don't show up and I never show up again? <laughs> right. Because it really prayed you. The amount of times I thought that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just the amount of, like, what, you know, I don't know, like, my law school, they had at the beginning, you know, orientation, they had, like, someone come in and, like, talk about the insane, like, not insane, the really high amounts of addiction and mental health issues in the profession. Yeah, And just, like, how people really struggle in this profession. And I'm like, 
all right, so you already got a bitch who's depressed right here, number one. And now you're telling yeah. me that everybody in this profession yeah. is also struggling with this. But why? We don't want to question why or what's going on. Or maybe we need to tweak something about the system because people are clearly struggling. Yeah. And I've read things that suggest that law school actually induces can like induces depression in law students or like, exacerbates it because... There is a study where they followed law students who starting out had the average amount of depression in the class, like whatever, like, I don't know, maybe like 5%. And then at the end of the year, it was like 13%. We're, dep- we're experiencing depression. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it too, because the setup of law school is v- very much as part of the culture is breaking you down <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and making just it's like a culture of self-criticality at all times and of perfectionism too Mm -hmm. definitely yeah and i think those are white supremacist values like 100 percent prioritizes this it prioritizes the characteristics that make you thrive in white supremacy not giving a fuck about anybody else (laughs) thinking that you're the best and being like the brashest loudest whoever like you are smart and like people could argue if you want but you're right that this kind of competitive yeah those are all characteristics that if you are not a person who is what white supremacy is wants you to be you're going to struggle period and even if you want to be if you are not within the identities that white supremacy values like you can want to succeed like i know lots of i know a I know lots of Black people and people of color who are corporate lawyers, but then they get into corporate law and they people really struggle. People don't make it in corporate law. I was reading something that it was like um, Black students at Harvard, huge amounts of students like go like large, no, not huge because the number of Black students in law school is not even like that large, but like large amounts. Yeah, large amounts of Black students in, like, Harvard Law School will go to corporate law. And, like, after three to five years, they leave the profession altogether. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's a problem. It's very low. I don't know. I'd be thinking about it. Like, do I really want to be, like, 60, walking around, going to court to argue some brief or whatever? Like... <laughs> I, yeah. I gotta think about it sometimes. It makes me sad. Do you plan on staying in, in the profession long term? I would hope so, but the way these loans are set up, saying <laughs> I would hope, I would hope you would be able to retire um, by then. I, think you're still gonna be writing briefs. I don't know. I think I will try <laughs> just because I I made a decision from going to law school that I was gonna do public interest. I'm like, yup. So I'm gonna have loans. Yup. I'm not gonna be a corporate lawyer and like make these whatever ridiculous amounts of salary or whatever yeah yeah but i don't know if it's gonna be my whole career because i also know that people take jds very seriously and you can like go somewhere and be like i'm a lawyer i don't want to practice anymore Mm. but i want to comment on the law (laughs) (laughs) right people will be like oh i'm so impressed and you're like i don't gotta i don't gotta go to court no more (laughs) you could do that npr the appeal anybody who's listening me and lena can be your legal commentators just let us know we can be the next come on have you heard a legal comment this radical about the law and the profession Um, no come on hire us (laughs) hello (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm definitely not staying in the professional long term i'm actively trying to trying to leave i'm actually (laughs) i'm not playing around i'm actively trying to pivot (laughs) to (laughs) 
<laughs> you're like, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> if I could, I fucking would. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. It's the, it'd be this close some days. You'd be like, say something to be funny. Because Jan, we could get it on what, it, what do you really want to say, like, Jan? <laughs> <laughs> right. What are you trying? Excuse, I don't think I understand what you're trying to say. Can you, can you repeat that? <laughs> Okay, so if you do end up staying, mm-hmm. what do you think needs to change for the profession to become a more welcoming place for women of color lawyers? Um, <laughs> get rid of the bar. Yes, that's true. Get rid of the bar exam. Abolish the bar. Law school has to be more accessible, period, in terms of cost. It has to be it cheaper. Has to be way yeah. cheaper. And then there's things about law school that you have to get rid of. Like, I'm, what do they call Cold it? calling? Cold calling. I'm done. Yes. I'm done I'm with done it. with cold calling. And I'm I hate how they'd be like, Mr. Blah, 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 Miss, whatever. And it's like, yes, that's so you true. Know? You don't know that I'm a Miss, but you assume it because you see me sitting here. And it's really uncomfortable. It's not welcoming towards gender nonconforming students. It's not welcoming black and brown no. students. It's just not welcoming. You get in, you get into law school and then you'd be like, wow, I worked so hard to get in here. And then you sit next to somebody and they'd be like, yeah, my dad's a lawyer. My grandpa's a lawyer. Everyone, everyone in my family's a lawyer. And I'm like, and you think that because everybody in your family's a lawyer, you felt called to be a lawyer. No, you didn't. Get the fuck out of here. Like, no, you did not. Like, right. so. Well, those people are the most lost because because they, <laughs> they really are like, why am I doing this? Right. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> yeah i i think this is a really hard question i think there needs to be more women of color lawyer and it's uh yeah. it's kind of a chicken or the it's, it's like hard. chicken or the egg you know because it's like well yeah. i think it would change if just like i think the culture would shift if there were more women of color mm-hmm. lawyers because honestly so much of litigation is just really it's white male energy 100 <laughs> percent. yes it is. You, you know yeah it really is i feel like being like working with Black women, women of color, and just seeing how they approach the law. You get so much shit done just by like being like, yo, let's talk about this and let's really talk about this because what you want is not realistic. Keep it up. People do not come with that energy. Like white men are always trying to like trick, play this like weird. They're going to like outsmart you or like out argue you. And you're (laughs) like, but we could settle this if you, I know you have the money. So like, what's up? (laughs) Well, Lena, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I think those are all the questions I wanted to ask. Was there anything you felt like we didn't cover? No, thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is my first conversation about like the legal profession since I like become a lawyer, which is still like weird to say <laughs> to me sometimes. I know, right? Uh, Esquire. People are like, what, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm an attorney. <laughs> yeah, you're a civil rights litigator. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Like, yeah, out here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know, huh? (laughs) (laughs) We we are here. All right. Well, bye, Kachimbonas. I hope you all enjoyed this episode.